Hello, and welcome to New Books in Media and Communications. I'm your host, Tal Zemanovic. Earlier this week, I met with Professor Amit Pinchevsky to discuss his recent monograph, Transmitted Wounds, Media and the Mediation of Trauma. The book was published recently by Oxford University Press. We discussed what does it mean to consider trauma in media from the perspective of technology and not from that of the subject of trauma, the clinician, or the witness. By bringing media theory to bear on trauma theory, Pinchevsky reveals the technical operations that inform the understanding of traumatic impact on bodies and minds. Under consideration is not the way trauma and traumatic memory figure in the media, be it through film, television, or photography, but rather media as partaking in the construction of the traumatic itself. Pinchevsky conducts his erudite exploration through a series of case studies, the radio broadcasts of, Eichmann, of the Eichmann trial, the videotaping of Holocaust testimonies, recent psychiatric debates about trauma through media following the 9-11 attacks, current controversy surrounding drone operators post-trauma, and digital platforms of algorithmic holographic witnessing and virtual reality exposure therapy for PTSD. Each of these cases makes a compelling argument about how media technology and logic shape the social life of trauma, both clinically and culturally. Transmitted wounds takes us from mid-20th century to our current moment, moving us from an analog world of trauma to a digital ecosystem that promises to transcend trauma altogether. This temporal setup demands ethical considerations of past and current systems of memory, witnessing, and therapy, which Benchevsky does exceptionally well. As I was preparing for our conversation, I was struck by the amount of questions, technical, moral, and ethical, that this book inspires, and I must confess that I am still considering some of the thought avenues Transmitted Wounds has opened up for me. So I suspect that this conversation will have a similar effect on you, and I thank you for downloading this episode and hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hi, Amit. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Unlike most interviews that I conduct, we are actually seated in the same room (laughs) on the campus of Tel Aviv University. So it's particularly nice to congratulate you in person on your wonderful book. So it is packed with thought-provoking arguments and grand narratives about modernity, trauma, and media. Um, But it also takes time to intimately explore trauma, memories, and ideas about post-traumatic future. Um, but before we get into some of this, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, maybe you could tell us a bit about your academic background and what brought you to this specific project. Okay, sure. Um, I did my undergrad and graduate studies here, actually, at mm-hmm. Tel Aviv University in Political mm-hmm. Science and Humanities, and then did my PhD at McGill University mm-hmm. in Communications, and at the bottom that was really about uh, theory and history of media. Uh-huh. And initially I was interested, in, and still to a certain extent, in, um, in philosophy of communication and ethics. But gradually I moved more and more into uh, witnessing and mm-hmm. media and witnessing. And this eventually led me to writing this book that was long time in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way summarizes uh, my work in the last, I guess, eight years or so uh, in trying to come up with some new ideas about the relation between uh, media and trauma and traumatic memory. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot of things I want to ask you about, <laughs> but I thought um, that maybe we can begin with your definition um, for the basic concepts of the book, which is media, trauma, and mediation. All right, so um, it's not really my own definitions, mm-hmm. but I do try to develop them um, and tease them in a way. Mm-hmm. The, the, to the way that I want to, um, to work with them. So trauma, uh, you know, uh, basically you can take it from a more clinical perspective, which uh, speaks of a violent event, stressful mm-hmm. event that is so overwhelming that it fails to be registered as such. Mm-hmm. And then it comes to be relived and re-experienced uh, latently. Uh, and... From that, we have the, the, patholo- the pathology of trauma, but also different manifestation of traumatic memory. So how kind of a, a certain kind of memory that was not fully experienced mm-hmm. or processed, if you want to take it in more kind of a technological sense, mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, is re-repeated, reproduced in the present mm-hmm. uh, in a way that the present still, you still try to kind of, you know, come to grips with the past. So there is also an interesting issue of narrative, of memory, of history, all those questions having to do with, with trauma. Mm-hmm. Media, I, I, of course, I deal with media technologies, and I have different sorts of media technologies here, both analog and, and, dig, and digital. But I, the main uh, question I am interested in is actually what I would propose as the transmission of, of trauma. And this is a kind of a term, transmission is a term that crosses from both in psychology and psychiatry and in technology, mm-hmm. and to what extent we can actually talk about a transference and transmission of something that, properly speaking, is you know unshareable. You cannot really share your pain. Mm-hmm. And how could you be wounded, mentally wounded, yeah. uh, so to speak, via the media? So this is, mediation would, would here be the operation of media in doing precisely that, mm-hmm. in relating... Um, transmitting, uh, but also storing and processing those events mm-hmm. as traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I think we'll talk a bit uh, more about this uh, later. But I just want to ask you another preliminary uh, question, and it, and that is that as I was reading the book, I thought that it really fits into many scholarly fields. So. It can be media studies, it can be uh, a book that belongs with the discussion of trauma, as you just said, or memory studies. Mm -hmm. And I could see it as making like a huge contribution to the field of science and technology studies as well. So I'm intrigued to hear where you think this book fits. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it fits in all those places or all disciplines, but it's also also a kind of a misfit, I think, Mm -hmm. because my, my, my basic intuition was how would it be possible to bring media theory to bear on trauma theory? And trauma mm-hmm. theory is a big, vast field nowadays, which draws from the clinical field, but also has much to do with literary studies, with, with memory studies, mm-hmm. with media studies, communication studies, um, popular culture, and so forth, culture studies. Um, so actually, I think it, it tries to speak to both, but also do a kind of a bridging Mm-hmm. Um, um, effort here in trying to um, trace back and explore the fundamental conception of of trauma and how that is how this concept uh, is associated and in, really informed by certain media logic and mm-hmm. technologies. 
So I would say it 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 would it belongs to all those fields, mm-hmm. but it doesn't fit squarely in none of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually, your answer kind of leads me to to my next question is that I think the perspective of the book is quite unique because um, you make your argument through a number of case studies, so the radio broadcasts of the Eichmann trial, the videotaping of Holocaust testimonies, uh, recent psychiatric debates about trauma through media following 9-11 events, Um, current controversy surrounding drone operators post-trauma and digital platforms of um, algorithmic holographic witnessing and virtual reality exposure therapy for PTSD. And each of these case studies could be told from the point of view of the traumatized subject mm-hmm. or from the point of view of the clinician or even from that of the witness. Um, but I think that it seems that you choose the point of view of the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, So could you tell us more about this decision and, and maybe give an example or two from the book to show us how it works? Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I do try to flesh out the, the technology that mm-hmm. is embedded in the, in the back uh, or in the deep context of mm-hmm. each of those cases, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, So how technology or the technological infrastructure is kind of, you know, uh, um, shapes and, and, and forms what we see uh, in the actual practice and, 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 and the unfolding of each of those either, either events or cases. Mm-hmm. And in that, I, I'm following to a certain extent uh, some ideas that have been developed in what we would call in a more anglo world, the German media theory, and mm-hmm. this is following uh, Friedrich Kittler and others, uh, but I'm doing that only uh, halfway, I guess, because I, I try to develop a kind of a critique of the um, non-moral stance that mm-hmm. these uh, the, the Kittler and others have taken, and I'm trying to actually take trauma as an instance or as, a, or as an opportunity to rediscover morality. Through media, but maybe we'll talk about it more later. Uh, so um, a couple of examples. One example is, um, say, the, the videotaping of, of uh, Holocaust survivors. And mm-hmm. there's been, there's been a huge amount of work done on that, on how uh, a traumatic memory um, um, manifests itself, despite the effort to tell a story, to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to tell a narrative, how it's being um, usually an indication of such traumatic memory would be uh, typically um, uh, silences, halts, uh, repetitions of certain words and so forth. And I, I became very interested in the tools that make that available. And the tool that makes that available is videotape. Take away the videotape, you mm-hmm. would not be able to trace, locate, um, rewind, replay, all those meaningful moments, they become meaningful thanks to the fact that they can be recorded and replayed. And this is something that I haven't really seen in the really, you know, general and huge discussions on media, uh, sorry, on um, uh, Holocaust witnessing, also with respect to uh, its um, uh, employment in, in different media outlets. So it, it, it's interesting. It was interesting to me to trace back how videotape, as a technology, mm-hmm. what is special about the videotape and the videotape setting mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that was so um, that was so innovative in the context of the Fulton of Yale archive, um, and how it really um, introduced a, a new dimension of how you would be able to um, to experience um, uh, and 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 record past events and specifically past traumatic events mm-hmm. as associated with, with Holocaust and Holocaust memory. Mm-hmm. I'll just stop you for a second to just tell us in a, a sentence or two about yeah. this archive and its initial mission. Well, initial, the initial mission of the, that archive that really uh, began in the late 1970s mm-hmm. was to record uh, the, ne- the, 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 the memories of Holocaust survivors in a way that, had, that hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be um, voice recorded, not handwritten, but video interviews. Mm-hmm. And that was, to us, it seems almost, you know, um, um, self-evident, but it wasn't really at that time. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the idea was to collect, uh, first it was around the New Haven area, then it, mm-hmm. it, 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 uh, it included other areas, other countries also. Mm-hmm. But initially it was interviewing... Um, it interviews survivors within a time frame that around an hour and a half, two hours. Sometimes mm-hmm. they were limited by the length of the video cassettes, the pneumatic old video cassettes. Mm-hmm. But it was really a, a, a new format in which you would have the survivors sitting in a studio-like room at Yale University and with some, I would say, psychoanalytic sensitivities, interview them about their memories mm-hmm. and have that on tape, mm-hmm. recorded mm-hmm. on what was then a new technology, relatively new, mm-hmm. of videotape. And that uh, new understanding of the audiovisual uh, uh, testimony was evident right from the start. So they mm-hmm. wanted... Uh, 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 the initiators of that project, that's Dory Laub, and later on um, Jeffrey Hartman, uh, Lauren Vlock, and others, to have a different kind of storage mm-hmm. format mm-hmm. of those of mm-hmm. those testimonies that they would not just be just like any other historical material mm-hmm. in the library or the archive, but they would have a more of a televisual um, application. And mm-hmm. this is actually what they had in mind um, mm-hmm. at the outset that that material could be used in, in, in education, in uh, documentary films, and so forth. Um, but it turns out, in hindsight, that they really produced uh, a new kind of archive. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say they produced the infrastructure for an archive of trauma, of how mm-hmm. trauma is being related via and despite the failing of narrative. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they provided the material or source material for others to come and to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, there were other projects, uh, Spielberg projects that followed on the same or similar agenda, not, this, not necessarily the same. Nowadays, we have a different agenda of digitizing those mm-hmm. archives and, and having them more accessible online and so forth. But that, at that time, that was really the new media Mm-hmm. of testimony videotape. Mm-hmm. So when you were ta- you discussed the videotape in your book, you talk about transmission in, in, in a few senses right. via the videotape capabilities. Right. Can, can you explain a bit? Well, we have the, the, the transmission here 
um, kind of plays on one of the of the main uh, figures around the discourse of um, of testimony and trauma, uh, which is Shoshana Feldman. Shoshana Feldman wrote this um, path-breaking book along with Dori Lau, mm-hmm. who was a, a psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, but also a child survivor. And then, mm-hmm. and after a few years on that project, they composed together a, a book called Testimony, mm-hmm. um, in which they each had a, a few chapters. And in one of the chapters, she talks about an event during a seminar that she had given, where she uh, screened a few uh, testimonies from the from the Yale archive, and following that screening, um, a few days after, uh, she reports that students came in to class different, mm-hmm. as if they were re-experiencing something from the screening. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. It, it affected their sleeping. They were they were obsessed or dis, or repeatedly discussing yeah. uh, discussing what what they had seen there, and to her that was a very that was a formative moment because she then, as she says, understood that there is something here that is very interesting. How that moment kind of transmits mm-hmm. a sense mm-hmm. of trauma that is beyond, um, uh, let's say. Uh, Understanding be, beyond a kind of you know more uh, cognitive understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting though that when she describes it, she puts it she puts that event on on, on in the context of of, of of the seminar where she where they had, had read other texts. But and she, to my mind, fails to see the different media mm-hmm. that are at play. Um, I don't think they would have, th- those students would have reacted the same way to reading text mm-hmm. as they had with respect to watching the testimonies, the video testimonies. So a transmission moment was there, I think, from the beginning. And um, and eventually she she says in the book that that was the kind of, the, as, he, as she puts it, I think this is the... the, the, the um, the, 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 the exact quote that what that moment was the German germination of her work on testimony so that moment of transmission was really what was informed her all understanding mm-hmm. without her realizing yeah. that there's media here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, at play which is the moment where you formalize yeah. your <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> yes where, where I sneak in my own. Yeah. so this really leads us to your argument that media technology and Uh, their logic shaped the social life of trauma, both clinically and culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you expand on this? And maybe we can think about another example in the book that, that mm-hmm. demonstrates this. Well, um, let's take an example about more, more on the clinical side. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was, I, I was interested in, in the development of the uh, idea or rather the possibility of being traumatized from afar. Can you be traumatized by watching something on television? And apparently now, uh, more and more among the clinical profession, I mean, mental health professions, agree that that is possible under certain conditions. This is really unthinkable. Yeah. If you'd go back 30 or 40 years ago, so what happened that this is, this is, a, this is an, even a possibility? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in going back to kind of a, kind of a genealogical take on this, so I... I I found an interesting um, uh, uh, episode in the history of, of trauma research 
which is um, a research paradigm, later called the, the trauma film paradigm, mm -hmm. in which uh, researchers, I mean, that's psychologists and psychiatrists, used films in order to measure uh, stressful reactions and from that conclude what would be a kind of a stressful or traumatic reaction to actual events. Yeah. That was in the early 1960s. Mm -hmm. And they used, uh, actually they used one film for a decade or even more, which mm -hmm. was uh, self-circumcision rights in Aboriginal tribes in, Aust in Australia. That was, oh, the, yeah. which was produced in the 1930s. So they used the same film yeah. in groups of students and other people on their subjects and actually measured the physical reactions, right? So uh, uh, heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, and so forth. So there was explicit visuals of the of these rites. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And there was also a control group mm -hmm. who was shown a very different film, a, a, a distinctively non-dramatic film, right? So like uh, growing crops in Iowa, or, or yeah, something like that. And then they, of course, compared the two groups, uh, coming to the conclusion that they could actually find um, uh, a model here to study mm -hmm. the effects mm -hmm. of stress and trauma. They called it actually an analog. So the, 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 the film is an analog to an actual, to a real event, mm -hmm. because it does produce some of the symptoms, right? Like uh, relieving or re-experiencing some mm -hmm. of the images, um, It, they, they, they held interviews with subjects and trying to say, well, how often did you think about the film that you saw? What kind of uh, thoughts did you have? And from that extrapolated that you can actually learn something about the dynamics of trauma. Mm -hmm. Again, what was interesting to me here is that they had an implicit film theory here without realizing it. So the, the very decision, initial decision that film or specifically a visual medium, could uh, act as a trauma uh, stimulus mm -hmm. uh, is not fully accounted for. Once you go, once you allow for that, you, all, you, you open the door for what would later be a kind of a visual bias of how you would understand uh, post-traumatic memories mm -hmm. or post-trauma in, in general. So, in the long, uh, or rather long development of how you, decades, uh, uh, be able to understand the present moment in which you would have now in the DSM, in the, in the, in the Diagnostic Manual of um, Mental Disorders, a possibility, a conditional possibility to be traumatized by the media, mm -hmm. distinctively saying this can happen only films, television, and photographs. Mm -hmm. And then there's this clause saying only if it's work-related. So it's interesting. These are all visual That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. media. So maybe there is something here that goes back to the 1960s with this paradigm that became more and more prevalent, I would mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. among that field. So there is a kind of a media embedded in the understanding of trauma without realizing there is such. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the Hillsborough right. uh, tragedy. Right. Where, uh, but you can right. So, so that was probably one of the first events that um, uh, 
people, family members actually, mm-hmm. that that saw the this, the, uh, the the tragedy of being being of people being uh, really crushed by by by, by the crowd at the soccer game. Um, so hearing about the disaster on on television mm-hmm. was absolutely devastating to them, and some actually mm-hmm. uh, sought legal. Uh, uh, um, measures afterwards, saying that well, maybe we are entitled to some cons- compensation because we are indirect victims of mm-hmm. that event. And at that time, it was in the in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, that was really um, rejected by the court. But now, I think such a claim, if it were to happen, has better chances because the professional claim among psychiatrists mm-hmm. is that, well, potentially that might happen. So mm-hmm. you would be able to make a case for it now, yeah. whether I don't think it was possible to make it now, uh, back then, sorry. Mm-hmm. And you actually show how following 9-11, right. this claim kind of got more validated. Right. So people that viewed the, right. the attacks on screen felt traumatized by a possibility of of death, of um, the death of others right. through through the distance. Right. So the interesting thing about 9-11 is that if you look at studies that um, looked into the possibility of being traumatized by television, mm-hmm. these were very few before 9-11. Mm-hmm. It was really a kind of a, on the margins of, 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 uh, of standard psychiatric or psychological studies. There were a few that... Um, did um, a study on school children mm-hmm. after the Challenger explosion, mm-hmm. and, sh- and 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 those uh, demonstrated that these children exhibited some of the symptoms of post-traumatic behaviors as mm-hmm. they were um, classified back then in the DSM. Mm-hmm. So it was really marginalized. But after nine eleven, there is a really there's a flood. It was a flood of, of studies on how, whether and how people watching the uh, watching the events on television develop symptoms that are that are that correspond with what psychiatrists and psychologists know as mm-hmm. uh, as 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 common to PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that. Only a few months after 9-11, there was um, a short uh, paper, really a call, kind of, you know, a call to arms by, by a dozen of psychiatrists in the, in the New, New England Journal of, of Medicine, which is very um, prestigious, saying, well, we have a new situation here in which we have to, to, um, to take into consideration that certain television broadcasts can present an actual mm-hmm. public health issue, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and from that, we would, we start see. I, I could actually see uh, more and more studies looking into media effects in sort of ways that reminded me of how uh, 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 scholars in media studies would do that, right? So, how, how often did you watch the show or the, or the broadcast? You know what triggered the uh, your memories and so forth. Um, looking in 
looking into the media effects as, as, as something that might have a pathological mm-hmm. uh, um, um, etiology, really. Mm-hmm. So um, from 9-11 onwards, uh, media, media broadcasting, television broadcasting, um, became an, a, a, an issue for clinical consideration. And that, that, that is the short story of that, of that chapter, yeah. Yeah, actually, I was thinking a lot about this chapter because, you know, people talk today about the onslaught of the news cycle, about the fact that we feel attacked mm-hmm. by the news cycle, so-called mm-hmm. in the Trump era. Do you feel that you, the, a, a similar claim can be made uh, today that we are um, experiencing this collective trauma of being bombarded by, you know, um, doom and gloom. Right. Well, one of the things that that uh, that um, that I'm realizing now, after uh, after writing the the, the book, um, is that you really need to think hard about what, not only what. Trauma is, and how that kind of you know uh, how how the notion uh, transforms and changes historically, but certainly when it comes to collective trauma, if such a thing even exists. I mean, mm-hmm. there are now discussions on cultural trauma, um, national trauma, collective trauma. I think here too, media play um, a key role because that what propagates those so-called traumatic um, images or events. Um, I would be hesitant to say that. I, I, I think uh, there is a growing inflation in the use of, 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 of trauma. And <laughs> there the might, you know, we should probably be one, one I would say, one of, the, of my, my, um, con- my own conclusions from, from this book is, that, is, is to be very careful in using uh, the term because it, 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 became, it has such a cultural cachet and nowadays and everything could be traumatic and trauma became, so you would have like trigger warnings, right? So that might kind of correlate with some kind of traumatic reaction. Um, some of, of what I was trying to do has to do with um, taking a more critical understanding or mm-hmm. developing a more critical understanding of what trauma is and how it actually uh, uh, propagates. Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually have a lot to say about trigger warnings, but we'll talk <laughs> about that later. Okay. Um, but I want to ask you a bit about the way the book is organized. And um, I thought that it was divided into two. So the first is really set firmly in the 20th century, and it has this narrative logic of media. And the second moves to the 21st century and to digital media. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that there is one chapter that bridges the two, uh, and that is screen trauma that uh, discusses what we just talked now about um, 9-11 and the possibility of being traumatized by by media. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we move to the digital part of the book, I wonder if you could compare um, the chapter about the Yale project of mm-hmm. videotaping, Holocaust mm-hmm. survivors that we discussed, and your chapter about virtual testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested both in the uh, kind of re- respective arguments for both chapters, mm-hmm. okay, um, but also in the ways that um, you research them. So did you come in with different methods or different concerns uh, when you were thinking about these two different 
uh, medias and one kind of more analog and the other digital. Mm -hmm. So, um, the main point, I guess, and, and you're, you're completely right in putting the two one against the other. This was this was a kind of my intention, so it's good that it, oh, good. <laughs> that it resonated with you. But that um, these are two models, really, of mm -hmm. what you might call an analog media testimony um, uh, 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 format and the one that is digital. And in the, as 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 I said in the in the in the videotaping of of testimonies, the uh, the meaning, meaningful moments were in those specific moments where someone is relating their their memories, and there is a moment of silence. There is a moment of pause, of pausing. There is a moment of like you know some gesture, some some kind of you know uh, that became very uh, important in analyzing those narratives because you could act, you would sit and watch the whole. Um, uh, the whole recording from mm -hmm. beginning to end, and in in the new, uh, I, I would say, in the new um, century and mm -hmm. in, in the new understanding of testimony, an interesting project is one that is now uh, underway at University of South California. They are doing a project called New Dimensions in Testimony, mm -hmm. which has a completely different agenda. I mean, of course, it correlates to a certain degree with the idea of, you know, preserving Holocaust memory and so forth. But the point there is how, and this is how they actually describe it, is to continue the conversation with, mm -hmm. with survivors. And this is by simulating um, a dialogue between prospective audiences and, 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 and Holocaust survivors. And the way that they did it is that they recorded... Uh, really hundreds of potential uh, potential answers to questions mm -hmm. uh, with Holocaust survivors and they recorded them using 3D technology so they would be able to produce from that <laughs> yes, No, it's insane. It, it is. Okay, a, go it on. Kind of <laughs> um, produce from those clips and uh, and recording uh, a 3D hologram mm -hmm. of the survivor. Mm -hmm. And the replies, the previously recorded replies, would then be processed uh, through a designated, a designated algorithm mm -hmm. that would find the most appropriate answer to a question presented by an audience. And they mm -hmm. think of it really as a way that future generations could bring in their own questions, mm -hmm. their own interests, and be... And, and receive uh, an answer as close as possible to an interaction, a live interaction. So mm -hmm. really what I think this project is about is about keeping the survivors alive or mm -hmm. a semblance of their, uh, of their presence rather than keeping their testimony. Mm -hmm. Because this produces a completely new uh, conception and production of testimony. It's no longer a narrative, but it's the creation of a new narrative each time mm -hmm. anew, right? So each interaction would, would string together different, yeah. uh, different, um, different answers. Again, going back to my interest here, it's, it was interesting to me to see that in the new um, uh, Dimensions in Testimony project, um, 
they were actually trying to move away from the more traditional Yale conception of, of, of testimony, uh, get away from or back away from the idea of narrative as something that you would just sit back and have to kind of watch and take on a more interactive, mm-hmm. right, as fitting to nowadays, interactive mode of, in, of, of, of testimony, which eliminates the possibility of those pregnant moments of traumatic memory or the, or the ways in which traumatic memory asserts itself through those moments. Mm-hmm. So these really are completely eliminated when you construct a testimony in terms of, 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 a, of, a, of a virtual uh, dialogue across time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a different understanding of testimony in which trauma or traumatic memory does not play a role or mm-hmm. is not as much of, 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 a, of, a, of a concern as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's more kind of preserving the option to have a conversation with right. a survivor rather than to preserve their testimony right. in their own words and sequencing. Exactly. And also with this comes a change, a shift in the, in the emphasis. So the mm-hmm. emphasis shifts from the witness mm-hmm. to what I call the witnessee. So it's about the recipient of, yeah. of witnessing and how you would be able to present your own questions, your own interests, how, you, how the testimony would talk to you in your terms rather than you having to put yourself right in the yeah. hands yeah. Yeah. or in front of the testimony and follow its sequence, its course. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if there's something that compromises the testimony in this method because mm-hmm. if I can ask the survivor... So if I'm creating the testimony mm-hmm. with my various questions that, right. can, that are informed by my standpoint mm-hmm. and my place in time, mm-hmm. does it mean that I'm altering the testimony? Well, I think there's no testimony as such there, not mm-hmm. in the way that there mm-hmm. used to be, because what is, what is actually working in the database of that system yeah. is a collection of, let, of, of some... 500 or 600 pre-recorded replies mm-hmm. to various questions that were collected from um, um, various um, uh, uh, focus groups and experts, and a lot of thought was went into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would have a variety of, of answers. Now, once you present a question, uh, you, the system sorts out all the available answers and locates the, the one that is statistically most appropriate to the parameters of the, of the question. Mm-hmm. So if there is enough of a statistical connection right, between uh, question and answer, you would get that. So it, you wouldn't get a direct an- answer to your question, but it would be, let's say, close enough. Mm-hmm. It's really linking and sort or, or, or tailoring together different replies um, depending on the questions presented. There's no narrative in there, right? The narrative is created through the interaction and it would be a different one depending Mm -hmm. on the different questions. Mm -hmm. So it's really a different conception of what testimony is altogether. So it's not the narrative flow. It's not a length of experience being told through time, right. but it's different segments. It's really, it's really a kind of you know modular 
yeah. memory yeah. in which you can reproduce and reproduce different segments of it. It's really interesting because it really alters the question of what it is that is preserved by right. this testimony. Right. right. Um, this is a very good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then this really, you know, it's this is one ethical question or challenge mm -hmm. that that you um, think about in this book, and I. Um, wonder if we can maybe get into another example of these ethical uh, uneases mm -hmm. or, or challenges that you write about, maybe through the question of virtual therapy. Right. Uh, right. Maybe you can explain more about that. So this is another project that is developed at, at the University of South California. Mm -hmm. And if the, what we just talked about is virtual testimony, this mm -hmm. is virtual therapy. Mm -hmm. So this, these are two, like, the two big um, discourses, I, th I yeah. guess, from uh, across the book. And this program um, uh, suggests that it would that it's possible to treat post-trauma uh, PTSD symptoms mm -hmm. by means of exposing uh, uh, patients to to uh, experiences similar to those those that created the, uh, the their own traumatic um, reactions using virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Scenarios. Basically, these are these scenarios are basically videotape game scenarios or mm -hmm. combat scenarios, like you know, mm -hmm. riding in a Humvee or going through a marketplace in some mid mid eastern town. Mm -hmm. um, and these are pretty much um, gen generic um, um, uh, uh, scenarios, and drawing on. Uh, a, a method called exposure uh, therapy, um, which stipulates that um, in order to treat traumatic um, uh, symptoms or post-trauma more generally, it's not enough to talk about it. So talk therapy as though cannot get deep enough into the brain areas, what they call fear structure, that, mm -hmm. it, that affects Or, or being or is affected by 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 the trauma what 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 needs to be done is you have to retrain those brain circuits mm -hmm. so they would react appropriately and not overreact so in, in this in this uh, program in this um, virtual reality therapy they would bring um, uh, typically veterans uh, from Iraq and Afghanistan and put them into scenarios close to those that they had experienced And run them through a, a, a series of treatment of, mm -hmm. of several weeks or so. By the end of which, so it is claimed, they would be pretty much cured. Uh, and the way, interestingly, the selling point, one of the selling points of this project, is that you don't have to talk about your mother, right? So it's an it's a non psychoanalytic yeah. uh, way of dealing with it. it. It's not about talking. It's not about narrative. It's not mm -hmm. about discourse. It's about really getting into a, a virtual world and through it evoking those areas and it's typically the more primitive quote unquote um, areas in the in the brain the limbic system that would react to threat and mm -hmm. danger and you would retrain them to react uh, appropriately mm -hmm. um, some of the This presents some moral, interesting moral questions. For instance, okay, so let's say, I'm not saying, but let's say that works. Let's mm -hmm. say they're right. Mm -hmm. 
So what does it mean that you would now be able to um, have soldiers coming back right from, from the front line and processing them through those programs in which they would be uh, um, de-traumatized, mm-hmm. right? So not that I'm, of course, um, um, advocating that people should be traumatized or that there is something uh, positive about being traumatized, but once you eliminate that, once the army government uh, puts a lot of money into such a program that really uh, finds a way to deal with trauma uh, efficiently, uh, you really uh, uh, rob the, or you really kind of, you know, um, 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 deactivate some moral agency from, from those who are affected by trauma. Uh, for all the pain that it causes, trauma has a moral um, or opens up a moral possibility in the sense of being vulnerable and being exposed and 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 and, and, and realizing the possibility of being exposed to to threat and and, and danger. Um, once you have that, and now there is even a, a a program that puts uh, soldiers before being deployed into such a treatment as though preventing trauma to develop to begin with or from the outset. Preemptive. Preemptive <laughs> treatment, right? Uh, a kind of, you know, immunization mm-hmm. of, of trauma. Mm-hmm. So what kind of a soldier would be one that cannot be traumatized? Mm-hmm. I think this is, a, this is a very important political and moral question. Right. A soldier that, that, could, that you could actually... Uh, developed in a soldier possibility of not being traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real question. Yeah, and what happens to empathy? What happens to empathy? What happens to mm-hmm. moral agency? What mm-hmm. happens to responsibility in such mm-hmm. a case? Yeah, no, that was really a fascinating uh, project and it really opens up a lot of um, questions. So as we're kind of winding down this interview, I wanted to ask you if there was anything in the research uh, process that surprised you, something that you felt that you learned and you didn't expect to think about in, in the way that mm-hmm. you think about it now? Well, really, in each of the cases I found, uh, I was surprised in one way or the other. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I knew that I had an intuition in each of them, that mm-hmm. there's something going on here, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure, I'm not yet, I'm, I'm yet to know what's going yeah. to happen here. Um uh, I had an idea, but in, I can think of you know instances in each and every one of them that I realized something. For instance, the the, the, the uh, film paradigm that that we that I mentioned. This was something that I only found out after I started the, the research, and it mm-hmm. really kind of you know surprised me. I said, "How is that possible? And how is it possible that I haven't heard about it before?" <laughs> right. So that was one of those things, mm-hmm. and. And there were others, I guess, to to to, to a certain extent. Um, that's, I think, it's it, that's a good measurement of if you're on the right track. If if if, if your research is capable of surprising you. Okay, so fantastic. I guess we'll uh, finish at this moment of uh, surprise yeah. and insight. And I want to thank you again for this interview and for your book. Thank you so much. <laughs>